and uh, verses 19 to 21. So uh, if you haven't got a Bible with you, there's a few Bibles in front of you. And uh, you find the passage on page 1176 of those Bibles. For those of you who don't know me, if you're new, my name's Steve. I'm the youth and children's pastor here at the church. And uh, it's a privilege this evening to be able to, uh, to bring this, uh, this word to you. So um, let's read Ephesians 5. Uh, Just a few verses, 19 to 21. It says this, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Though this evening we are uh, reading just a very small number of verses, they are precious. And, uh, and we praise you for them. And we pray that this evening you be glorified. We pray this evening that your words would be spoken, that your truths would be heard. I pray that my words would fall to the ground this evening. Uh, but you would speak to us all. Uh, above all the other noise we hear in our lives. Lord, uh, may this be a moment uh, where you are the loudest, where we listen most intently to your voice and to your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So we're at the start of a new series at Muttley. It's a relatively short series compared to some of the series we go through. We've just finished the entire book of Genesis, uh, which took a good couple of years. Uh, previously, we took a couple of years to go through Acts. Uh, and now we have this, uh, this short series in, uh, uh, on worship, and we start that today. And we recognize that worship is something that we do with our whole lives. And uh, Jesus says that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And uh, we recognize that the whole of our lives is worship. So uh, later in the series, we'll be thinking about worship at work, how we worship through our working lives. We'll be thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit in worship and how the gifts of the Holy Spirit help us to worship. Lots of different aspects to worship. We recognize even in this service this evening, uh, the time that we've sung, the time that we've prayed, the time that we'll listen to uh, to a sermon, to God's word. Uh, these times are all worship. It's all worship. But tonight, we are specifically going to be thinking about sung worship, about that time in the service where, as a congregation, we sing together. And, uh, and that's where we're, we are this evening. And I'm aware f- for many of you, uh, music is, is just an amazing thing in your life. You love music. You love to worship by singing. Uh, for those of you here this morning, you will have heard Andy Caldwell, senior pastor here at the church, talk about worship and talk about how much he loves music. And Andy uh, shared this morning that he loves music so much, he, he showed us these headphones that he's got that literally attach to your skull. So if you're under the water, they work and you can hear music under the water, underwater headphones. Uh, Andy just, uh, just told us how much he, he loves music. He, he wakes up in the morning with a song in his head and he immediately puts that song on in his house. 
Uh, he immerses himself in music. And, and if you're that kind of person who, who really loves music and, uh, and, and just wants the whole world to be immersed in, in music, music is your life, then I would recommend you listen to Andy's sermon uh, from this morning. Because uh, Andy and I are, are chalk and cheese uh, when it comes to music. Music for me, I don't get it. <laughs> I really, I really don't get it. Um, in fact, for me, sung worship in church has been quite a constant battle in my life. And, and when I read this passage that I'd been given to preach on, my heart kind of sunk. I was like, oh no, how am I going to sing about sung worship? It, when I'm in the car, I will listen to talk sport. That's it for me. Talk sport. I've even got I've got a five minute journey from my house to, to church in the morning. Alan Brazil sports breakfast. Thank you very much. That is that's where I'm at. That's what I'm talking about. If I hear, or if I'm sort of flicking through other stations and uh, and a song comes on, I'll flick to another one so that there's some words. So someone's talking to me. If I hear a, a DJ say in the next half hour we've got non-stop hits, no ads, no talking, nothing. No, thank you. I'm not having any of that. I'm not interested in, uh, in music in that context. In film, I can't watch a musical. I, re- I really can't. I'm sorry, Lucy. She's looking at me like, uh, what? Really? I can't watch a musical. I can't engage in a musical. I don't get the plot. I don't understand what's going on. I can't follow it. I just, I just don't get it. Uh, in, on TV, um, I, I, I would not watch... X Factor, I would not watch Pop Idol, I would not watch uh, The Voice, um, these, these things just, uh, Britain's Got Talent, I mean Britain's Got Talent's alright because there's a little bit of variety, uh, but, uh, but I'm not really interested in the songs or the dogs actually, just come to, come to I've got a dog so I'm not, I'm not anti-singing, I'm not anti-music, I'm not anti-dogs either. Put it out there, but um, but but, uh, but but the songs, the singing, it just doesn't really uh, grab me. It doesn't engage in me, and I'm not I'm not overstating this. I'm not deliberately hamming this up. This is something that has been present my whole life. I was when I was young, I, I learnt the trumpet, and uh, this may be the source of all my musical woes. Uh, but um, but I learnt the trumpet, and uh, and I achieved grade three in the trumpet, which uh, which was a, a personal achievement uh, of mine, which I'm very proud of. Uh, but I would literally cry at the thought of going to my trumpet lesson, break out in tears, genuine, full-on tears. I don't want to go to this lesson. And in fact, I remember vividly my last ever trumpet lesson. I my. Um, my teacher, his name was, uh, was Pete Desmond, and he was a bit of a trumpeting legend. And I was very fortunate to be taught by him. And, uh, and he busted me, basically. He said, you know, you haven't practiced, have you? And I said, no. And I just burst into tears. I don't like it. And uh, never went back. That was that uh, for me. And, uh, and for music, I don't engage with it. And then uh, I come to church, and one of the major component, components of a service at church is singing. And, uh, and I found that something of a challenge. I was a teenager growing up in, uh, in a church in North London. And, uh, and, and I was a teenager during the 90s. And so around uh, the mid-90s, uh, a band that you would have heard of, Delirious, became quite popular. And uh, they, they emerged 1995. They released a song which would haunt me. Uh, when I went to church. It's called Over the Mountains and the Sea. You know it? Yeah? Over the Mountains and the Sea. And, uh, and the chorus of that song 
went like this. I'm not going to sing it. I could sing of your love forever. And as a teenage boy who didn't engage in music, I would stand there and think, oh no. Oh, please, no. And, uh, and actually, quite often with that song, you would have worship leaders who, who would sing that chorus over and over again. And I'd sit there and think, I think you're going to do this. I think you're taking this literally. It's not a literal song I could sing. I could. I'm not going to. I could sing of your love forever. I'm not going. For me, it was a, a really uh, big challenge. Richard Foster uh, wrote the book Celebration of Discipline. And in that, he uh, includes worship as a spiritual discipline. And uh, my experience of sung worship has been something of a, a discipline in life. And, um, and having said all that I've said about worship and about music, and uh, music is a beautiful thing for many, many people and uh, an amazing thing. But having said that, I do like sung worship. I can engage in song worship. I do find it a place where I can meet Jesus. And so there must be something different about song worship to about music in day-to-day life. There must be something different between singing songs in church to singing songs in a choir or singing songs uh, at a gig or listening to music on your iPod. There must be something different. Uh, in it. Um, Wayne Grudem uh, wrote this book, Systematic Theology, and he offers six products of genuine worship which have spoken to me uh, in my journey of uh, understanding worship. Uh, And hopefully they will help us this evening to, to understand whether you are a music lover or whether you are something like me uh, who, who doesn't engage in music outside of this context. Whoever we are, we are called to worship God, uh, and we are called to engage in this, uh, this celebratory discipline. And Wade Grudem offers a few uh, products of, um, of genuine worship, which we're going to look at, six of them this evening. And, uh, and hopefully they'll help us to, uh, to understand this concept of sung worship. And the first is that we delight in God. Now, just to help us uh, uh, to set this little scene, I've got a, uh, a clip from YouTube, uh, which we're going to watch now. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Okay. Uh, When we worship, we delight in God. When we worship, we delight in God. Not the musicians, although uh, it is wonderful to have uh, such amazing uh, people who uh, lead us into worship. But if you want to worship musicians, if you want to sing amazing songs, then go to a gig. Because in worship... We delight in God. If you want to sing how great is this song, go to a gig and do that there. We're not worshipping songs. We're not worshipping musicians. We're not delighting in the experience of music. We're not delighting in the experience of lots of people singing together. If you want to do that, join a choir. That's what choirs do. They sing together, enjoy the experience, the joy in worship We delight in God. That's number one. When we genuinely worship, we are delighting in God. Martin Saunders is a youth worker and editor of Youth Work magazine. And he was rewriting uh, the Richard Foster Celebration of Discipline book for young people. And he asked his young people what the opposite of worship was. Well, he asked what the opposite of the spiritual disciplines were. And when they got to worship, one of his young people said, put his hand up and said, look, uh, I think worship is the opposite of sin. I think worship is the opposite of sin. And, uh, and Martin Saunders thought about it for a while and, and soon realized, actually, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Worship is the opposite of sin. Because simply put, sin is, is turning away from God. Is, is turning your face away from God. And, and worship, in worship, in genuine worship, we delight in God by turning our face to him, by lifting our hands to him. Um, I, uh, I asked uh, sort of the Twitter world uh, what they thought worship was this week. And, and Alex Rowe, one of the young people here, or was, he's moved away now, uh, he tweeted a reply. He was the only one who did, by the way. Um, thanks. Uh, he, uh, so I thought I'd mention him. Uh, so he tweeted a reply. He said, worship is this, a, conscience, a conscious alignment of our minds, our hearts, and our souls towards God. A conscience, conscious alignment of our hearts and our minds and our souls towards God. That's worship. It's the opposite of sin. You see, sin, in sinning we are sticking our hand up in the face of God and saying, I'm not interested. We are turning our back on him. We are looking away from him. And in worship we have the opportunity 
to raise our hands to him, to lift our faces to him, and to delight in the creator of the world. If you've got your Bible still to hand, turn to Romans 1. I'm going to read a few verses uh, where Paul, <clears throat> Paul is talking, and uh, I'm going to read from verse 21. He's talking about the ungodly of the time. He's talking about those who do not follow Jesus, who do not love Jesus, who have turned their backs on God. He says this from verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served creative things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Sin is sticking your hand up and turning your face away from God. Worship is the opportunity to delight in him, to delight in him because worship is about who God is and what he's done in our lives. And what more is there in life to delight in? These people that, uh, that Paul is talking about, they didn't glorify God, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped created things, their bodies and sexual desires over the creator who gave them their bodies, who gave them those gifts. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship is our opportunity to stand the opposite way. Sung worship is one way, and there are many that we can do this. There are many ways we can delight in God, but tonight we're talking about sung worship. And sung worship is an opportunity that we can come and delight in our God. And it's clear in the Bible, it's clear through the Psalms, that it's, there's constant speaking of singing our praise to God, singing out joy to Him, singing of what He has done, singing of who He is. It's clear that the Bible teaches that God wants us to engage in delighting in him through sung worship. Uh, so that is the first thought. We delight in God. It's an opportunity for us to delight in God. And I'm, for one, want to take that. There's the second. God delights in us. It's a two-way thing. We delight in God and God delights in us. He delights in you. Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you have that in mind? You are an individual, uniquely made by the creator God, and he delights in you. He created you in his image, and he delights in you. See, as a, as a father, I've got two children, and um, Noah and Evie, and they're, they're little, uh, and, um, and they're amazing. They're a delight. 
I, I delight in them all the time. Uh, when they're good and when they're being funny and super cool and saying amazing things, uh, I really, you know, I, I get very excited uh, by that. That's lovely. When they're naughty and shouty and uh, unruly, which they are, uh, they, um, uh, they're still my delight. They're still my delight. Noah, the oldest of the two, uh, he's uh, nearly five and started school last week. And uh, there was a moment uh, after his first day of school uh, where Rebecca, my wife, picked him up and I was waiting in the car just down the road. And, uh, and he, he came out of school and, uh, and he let go of his, his mum's hand and he ran to me. And he ran and he ran and he opened his arms and he hugged me. He said, Daddy, I love school. And I was, uh, uh, that was a touching moment. And I delighted in him in that moment. I delighted. In fact, my heart beat a little bit faster. You know, that was a special moment. There is nothing that you can do in your life to make God love you any more or any less. But when you turn to him, when you delight in him, he delights in you. He always delights in you, like I always would delight in Noah and Eve. But when you turn to him, when you truly delight in him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, he delights in you. It's an amazing truth that is very hard to communicate because of the, the kind of world that we live in. There are so many people in this world, billions of people. And to imagine yourself as an individual loved by God uniquely, solely, is very difficult. We tried as uh, youth leaders to communicate this to the young people uh, at Mutley, our summer camp. We run a summer camp each year. And um, and this year, uh, some of the youth leaders spent a little while uh, going around collecting. You know, uh, Coca-Cola were doing this promotion uh, where it was uh, share a Coke with, and they had a name on the bottle. Uh, are you familiar with that? Yeah? Good. Thanks, Steve. Steve's familiar with the uh, Coke bottle uh, promo- promotion. I'm sure everyone else is as well. Uh, so uh, we spent a little while trying to find... A Coke bottle with the name of every young person who was going to this, uh, to summer camp. There were 60. Uh, so, um, so there were some days where I was sat in Tesco with, uh, uh other supermarkets are available with, uh, just, uh, just Coke bottles all around me. I was sat on the floor searching the back of the aisles for all these Coke bottles, literally cross-legged, uh, looking through, uh, all of these aisles for Coke bottles with, uh, with the names. I had the list of everyone coming with the names of people coming on it. There was also an event in Plymouth where you could have uh, your own name written on uh, a Coke bottle. And uh, there, were, uh, there were 10 of us or so youth leaders that spent about three hours queuing to this kiosk over and over again so that we could get all the remaining Coke bottles. Uh, so that every young person at uh, summer camp had a Coke bottle. And, um, and while we were there, uh, one evening we shared communion. Uh, but instead of using wine, we replaced wine in a slightly irreverent way uh, with Coke. And, uh, and we said, uh, we actually read this, uh, this passage from Isaiah 43. Uh, and I'll read it to you uh, as well now. Isaiah 43 says this. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That is an incredible truth. You are called 
by name. When Jesus died on the cross, he thought of you. If you were the only person in the world, he'd have done it for you. And so when we shared communion, we we shared with with a bottle of liquid that represented Jesus' blood. And it had the individual's name written on it. And in many ways, when we take communion, that's the truth. When we hold a small glass of, of wine or grape juice or fruit juice, whatever it is, we hold it and Jesus knows and he delights in you doing that. He delights in that moment. He delights in you because you are turning away from your sin and you are looking at him and he delights he delights in you. When Jesus was baptised, there was the, the, the voice from heaven that said, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. When we turn our face to heaven, when we turn our face to God, the creator of the world, he says, With you I am well pleased. That voice is yours too. There's, um, there's one place where I felt comfortable singing in my life, and, uh, and that's uh, at a football match. And uh, it's the only place that I've really felt comfortable singing, and I was uh, hoping if Spurs had won by more than three goals today, we'd have been top of the league, and I would have given you a rendition of, we are top of the league, say we are top of the league. But I'm not going to, because we didn't, and we're not top of the league. There we go. Uh, that's your opportunity to hear me sing, gone. But, um, but that's the one place in life that I have felt comfortable singing, probably because it's more shouting than anything else. But I wondered, what's the difference between that place of singing at a football match and this place of singing in church? And the difference is the reciprocation of God's love and delight. When I sing at a football match, and I don't really sing, I shout at the players and say, wow, brilliant, well done, fantastic, Paulinho, you scored, woo! Uh, That's exactly what I do, an exact replication. Um, When I do that, those players don't look back at me saying, hey, Steve, thanks for coming. (laughs) Brilliant. Appreciate your support. Thanks a lot. When you go to a gig and you sing the songs and you join in with, with the songs, the band on stage don't turn back and go, hey, Joel, thanks for coming. Really appreciate your support. Thanks for spending the money. Thanks for driving all that way. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. You don't get that in those situations. In worship, that's where there's a difference. Because we delight in God and he delights in us. He comes into that place with us. Number three, we enter a new covenant worship. I'd like us to read uh, a little bit from Exodus uh, for for this. Exodus 19 and uh, verse 1 to 6 says says this. In fact, from verse 3, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what I want you, uh, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. 
Imagine being there when Moses comes back down the mountain, Mount Sinai. Imagine he comes back down the mountain and you're all there. And Moses says, this is what God has got to say to you. You are my treasured people. You're my treasure. You're my delight. I love you. Imagine that. You are my holy nation. Imagine being there. Moses has heard these words directly from God. At the top of Mount Sinai, he comes down the mountain and he says, this is what God says to us. We're his holy people. We're his treasure. We're his delight. Imagine being in that place. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be amazing? But what's amazing is that we enter a new covenant of worship. So go to Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12 starts to talk about uh, that, that place, that time, Mount Sinai, and all that's gone on. Hebrews 12, verse 18. Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain. This is talking about us now, about you and about me, and uh, in, in a time where Jesus has come. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. That's Mount Sinai. And Hebrews says, you have not come to that place. Hebrews says, but you, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to be sprinkled and to, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Throughout the Old Testament times, the people could come to God, but through limited ways. They came through the priests. They came through Moses. They came through the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a place in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was kept where the presence of God was kept, a priest was able to enter that just once a year. And when Jesus died, fast forward nearly 4,000 years, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain, the 15-foot veil, was torn in two from top to bottom. It was torn in two. When Jesus died on the cross, for your sin and mine, when Jesus went through the most ultimate pain and suffering for me and for you, he became the only mediator between man and God. He made a way that we need no more mediation, no more going through priests, no more holy of holies, but we have direct and free communication between the creator of the universe and the creator of you and the creator of me. That is new covenant 
worship. When we worship, when we sing here, we're not responding to Moses who has come down a mountain and said, hey, God says you're my chosen people. We're not responding to that. We're responding to Jesus who died on the cross that we would have a free communication with the Lord God Almighty. That is incredible. And it takes us to the the fourth thought, which is that when we worship, God draws near to us. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and I'll draw near to you. There's no need for any mediator. There's no need for anyone. Jesus has done it. We celebrate Jesus. We love Jesus. We worship Jesus. He is the king. He is the one. He is the reason why we're here. And as we worship, God draws near to us. Wow. God draws near to me. Moments of sung worship are thin places. Thin places of tangible presence of the Spirit of God. Yes, he speaks to us in other ways. Yes, we worship in other ways. Yes, we meet with him in other places. But there is something spiritual. There is something special. There is something different about a gathering of Christians engaging in sung worship. Fifthly, God ministers to us. As he draws near, he ministers to us. Ephesians 5, back to the verse of today, Ephesians 5 says, Speak to one another through psalms and spiritual songs. We know that God uses other Christians to speak to us. And I think that, uh, that what Paul's saying is here, is allow God to speak. Allow God to speak to you. Okay, you're all right. Okay. I know. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, buddy. You you take care. You're all right. You're all right. You're all right. You're all right. Okay. In worship, God ministers to us. God ministers to us in three ways, I believe. In three ways, he ministers to us. He strengthens our faith. He intensifies our awareness of his presence and he refreshes our spirits. Now later in this series, we're going to be looking at the spiritual gifts and what happens in worship through the spiritual gifts. But in sung worship, in sung worship, there is this presence. There is this spiritual presence where God ministers to us. Do you know, I understand the emotional high after all I've said about you know music and all of that I understand that there's there's emotion uh, that is tied in with music and the emotional high of sung worship but how often do we get infatuated by the experience and miss the point that's where that that clip sort of came in you know how often do we get infatuated by the experience of what's going on and we don't engage in the real uh, the real heart of worship. Louis Giglio suggests that the heart of worship is me in his hands and my life in his plans. Me in his hands and my life in his plans. Whether you like singing or not, whether you connect with music or not, I believe that worship is the absolute abandonment of self to the creator of the universe. I surrender some is no worship at all. I will sing of your love on Sunday is no worship at all. 
but not singing and surrendering your heart to Jesus is ultimately worship. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Finally, uh, number six, the Lord's enemies flee in worship. Satan was thrown out of heaven for wanting God's worship. He couldn't cope with the fact that God was receiving all the praise, all the worship. He wanted some of it for himself and he was thrown out of heaven. And the fall came from worship. God takes worship seriously. And Satan knows that at his At this sound of singing, his enemies will flee. His enemies will flee. So to close, I just wanted to give you three thoughts uh, about worship. Three thoughts uh, that would practically help us uh, to to worship before we we sing again and uh, and before the prayer ministry team uh, come as well. So to close, uh, number one, be intentional. Be intentional about worship. Worship is a spiritual discipline, comes from a serious conscious decision to, uh, to choose to worship. Just like to, you choose to pray, just like we choose to listen to a sermon, just like we make those choices, worship is a choice. Be intentional about your worship. Know where you're coming to. Know who you're coming to. We're coming to praise him for who he is and what he's done. And be free, secondly, be free. In worship, if you want to stand, sit, kneel, raise your hands, put your hands up, be free. Be free in what you do in worship. Be intentional, be free, and be devoted to the audience of one. There is one person, there is one person who has, who has all of our attention in worship. Just one. Not the worship leader, not, the, uh, not the, the, anything else that's going on. One person, and that's Jesus. The little two songs that we sung just before I came up was my sermon. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Worship is all about Jesus. Worship is the, is the act of glorifying God with all our heart. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you that you that you are with us. We praise you that you love us. We praise you that you died for us. That you thought of us when you did that. We thank you that we are made in your image by you and that we have the opportunity to worship you, the creator of this world. And Father, I pray that you would send your spirit, help me, help us to glorify you through sung worship, to experience the joy of delighting in you, of your delight in us, of the two-way. I pray that you would enable us to experience the fullness of that joy. Lord, you are good. We love you and we worship you. Amen.